to the valley of the shadow of death, right? You could probably write a good rap song to that, right? Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff they comfort me. So let's, let's look at this. What is the valley of the shadow of death? Have you, have you ever felt like you were going through that? Yeah. Like you're not dying, but you're like about to die. You're in the shadow of death, right? And you're in a valley. You're in this dark place. There's actually, when, when, the, when David says this, when he's talking about the valley of the shadow of death, there's actually a va- the valley of the shadow of death. There's actually a, a pathway that goes from the Jordan Valley uh, from Jerusalem towards Jericho. It's actually still there today. And what it is, it's a steep winding road with rocks and huge cliffs on the side. And there's all these predators that live in there, animals, wild animals live in there. And there's also thieves in those times and bandits would actually hide out in the rock. And and, and there were some tombs in this region where they would hide out in. And when people would pass through this valley when they were traveling, they, they would hide out in there and they would actually try to rob people that were going through there. Or a shepherd, he would actually try to steal his sheep. And so whenever someone would go through this valley, whether you're a sheep or a shepherd, it was a great danger. It was potentially harmful. It was potentially destructive. And how many know the path of righteousness oftentimes goes through very dark ravines? And during those seasons, we feel very vulnerable to the enemy's attack, don't we? Like, I'm going through this, and man, I hope if one more thing happens, it's going to break me. How many of y'all have ever been that before? I can't handle anything else. And then well-meaning Christians come to you and say, well, God would never put you through. You know what I'm saying? And, they're, and you're like, that doesn't help me, right? <laughs> what you, don't, what, you know, many times when we're going through difficulties, we don't need an answer. We just need someone's availability, right? And so this is what the psalmist said. He said, even though I go through the valley, he's like, I will not fear for you are with me. Isn't it interesting that when we go through these dark seasons, we can take comfort in the fact we don't have to be afraid of those that would come and steal our life away or steal the things that we have. We do not have to be afraid. Why? Because we have a shepherd that is capable of leading us through the most beautiful places or through the most darkest places. He has promised to never, ever leave us. We've all been through these seasons. Some of you are in this season right now. It's difficult, it's dark, it's creepy. Things are all around you, crushing you. But can I tell you today that you are in the care of the good shepherd who is your defender and your leader. And he will lead you through. He will lead you through the great and he will lead you through the terrible. He will lead you through. And you can take comfort and you can take peace in that fact. But I want you to understand this. The valley of the shadow of death is somewhere we go through. It's not where we live. We don't live there. We go through it. We walk through it. We don't live with it. So whatever you're going through, whatever the difficulty you're going through now or the one you're going to go through in five years from now or five months from now or five minutes after you leave the church today, no matter what difficulty you go through, he will never lead, and he will lead you through it. You're not going to it. God's not leading you to it. Come on, we say this all the time. God's not leading you to the difficulty. He's leading you through the difficulty. So it will be a season, and just like the good season, it will pass. Every season will pass. That's why we call it a season. But can I tell you that the righteous are well-rooted, and our fruit isn't dependent. Listen, our fruit isn't dependent upon the season that we're in. 
Because we're not, we're not contingent upon, uh, the, our fruit isn't contingent upon what falls, but from what flows. Right? It's in you, it's flowing out. So, we, we have this understanding that he is with us. And then it gets into this thing. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he's saying, he's saying, you're with me. You're walking me through this dark place. And he says this, I find comfort in two things, the rod and the staff. Now, some, some theologians, some people have kind of confused and said the rod and the staff are the same thing. But most people agree that they're actually two different instruments based upon archaeology, based upon uh, the study of Scripture, these type of things. And so when he talks about the rod and the staff, he's talking about the protection and the leadership. He's talking about the defending and the guiding. So we can, so confident safety can be found in the protection, the rod, and the leadership, the staff of the good shepherd. When you, no matter what season, beautiful, dark, right? I mean, those are like scary, scary words, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, come on. I mean, how, how dark can you get, psalmist, right? I mean, that's like a creepy place, right? I mean, guys that, that have uh, cheap mustaches and drive around in, in vans with no windows, they, they, they stay there, right? The creeps live there, and they're coming to, to take everything. But we find comfort because we are in the care of the good shepherd. We first find comfort in the fact that he never leaves. Never he never leaves. That's where we first find our safety. But how does he lead us? How does the good shepherd lead us? He leads us with two instruments. Every good shepherd would have these instruments. Modern shepherds, they now have a staff. They still carry a staff, but now a lot of times they carry a gun. That's the rod that they use nowadays. But when, when Scripture speaks of a rod, it speaks of one of authority, the word is shebit in, in, the, in the Hebrew language, and it is a symbol of authority. Uh, many times we would confuse this with the spare the rod, spoil the child uh, type thing, but this is not the same type of rod. It, it, it is very similar, but it's a little bit different. This was a rod that was usually crafted um, or whittled by the shepherd to fit his own hand. He would go and he would dig up some roots somewhere and he began to whittle this stick that would have a knob on one end and it would be very, and he would smooth it out to fit his hand. It was fit for the shepherd. The shepherd many times would build his own rod and it would kind of be like a club and it, and it, stood, it stood for when that, that shepherd held it, it stood for a symbol of strength, power, and authority. Can I tell you, the rod in the shepherd hand is his scepter. It's actually the same Hebrew word that a, that a king would have when a king would have a scepter and he would stretch forth. That's the same Hebrew word. The rod in the hand of the shepherd is his scepter. It represents his power. It represents his authority. And it has a lot of purpose to it. It's not just like some cool little thing that he carries around representing, hey, I'm in charge here. I have the scepter, right? I mean, you guys have met somebody like that. They walk around. I have the title, I have the scepter. I am in charge here. By the way, if you have to tell people you're in charge, it's a good indicator that you're not. You're laughing, but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, come on. So what, it, what is the rod used for? We know it represents authority, but what is it used for? First of all, it's used for examination and managing. There's a scripture in Ezekiel 20, verse 37. It says, I will take note of you as you pass under rod, my rod, and I will bring you in to the bond of the covenant. 
So what would happen is whenever a a shepherd was managing his sheep, he used the rod as a tool. He would stand at the gate, like we've talked about before, the, the opening of the sheep pen. And as the sheep would pass, he would hold that rod down and he would look as, as that rod laid on top of that sheep as he went through. He counted his sheep to make sure his sheep was there. And so he's managing it that way. And then as it would walk through, he could see his skin. The other thing is he could inspect the sheep to make sure it's his sheep. Are you with me? So he's making sure he's inspecting the sheep. He's examining the sheep, counting them as they pass under, as he examines them from diseases, parasites, skin condition, ticks, all these kind of things. He's checking them out with his rod. He has the authority to do so, and he's exercising his authority to examine the sheep. Can I tell you that whenever we come to the good shepherd, oftentimes he examines us to see, not to point out what's wrong, but so he can deal with the issues. Uh, many times uh, when we when we see this, um, Jesus talks a little bit about this indirectly in Matthew chapter seven. He talks about he says this. He he says you can't, and it's not in your notes, but I've got it here for reference. It says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. We talked about that week one that that the sheep pen, the way it was set up, it was an opening. He said you can only go through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. The gate. The gate is wide and many follow that, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficulty. So he talks about this. Then he says this, beware of false prophets. Okay, you guys remember this. He says, beware of false prophets. So they clothe themselves like a sheep, but they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, can I tell you one of the reasons why, why God has authority is because he stands at the gate and he examines to make sure that there would be no false among us. Those that would come in and try to try to eat us or try to devour us, he checks and inspects and makes sure that, that, no, that, that nothing that doesn't belong there will come in. Isn't it good that we have a good shepherd that exercises that kind of authority? He goes in and he, and he talks about inspecting in, in Matthew chapter 7. He says that, that uh, you can inspect the fruit, right? He says you, you know a tree by its fruit. All this is in context of what? Examining. Examining the sheep. Examining those that come in. So God does have an Some people are like, oh, God doesn't examine you. Man, I want God to examine me. I want God to, to explore every crevice of my heart. I want him to take that authority, and I give him authority. I surrender my life, and I say, Jesus, would you come? Would you comb through my heart finally to make sure that there's nothing in there that would hinder my love for you? There was nothing in there that keep me from being the sheep that I'm called to be. Would you come? Would you find it out? And most of us, what we do is we like, I don't want, God, you can have this, this, that, and the other, but don't touch that part. No, no, no. We want the authority of God to examine us and manage us and keep track of his sheep. The second way that a rod was used is a rod was used for correction. Now, I want, I want to be very careful when I talk about this today. The purpose of the rod is not to correct the sheep. Many have taught that, but but it's actually inaccurate to say that. The rod can be used to correct a sheep, but only in the context if a sheep is harming other sheep. That would be the only time that a shepherd would ever use the rod because what would happen is if he used the rod on the sheep too often, then the sheep would be afraid of the shepherd. Are you with me? Um, now, listen, that is, that is not to say, and I want to hit on this today because I believe that there's a lot of theology out there that says God doesn't discipline us, uh, God doesn't correct us, those type of things. The scripture is very clear that God does, in fact, correct us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 10 says, God disciplines us for our own good. It's just like my kids. 
if they continue to break the rules, I will have to discipline them so they'll keep the rules. Something like running in the street. If Judah just runs in the street, and I don't ever discipline him. I'm like, oh, son, you know you're not supposed to play in the street. And I act like that about it. What's going to happen? He's going to run out the street, and eventually he'll get ran over. But there comes a point where I will have to discipline him in order to save him. Are you guys with me? And so there is a point that God disciplines us for our own good. Now, this doesn't mean that God beats us, and we'll get into that in just a second. God disciplines us for his own good that we may share in his holiness. So God doesn't, God doesn't discipline you so that you, because he's, he's angry, because he's frustrated, because he's, because he's angry at how you acted today, or, or you sinned today, or you had a bad attitude, or you mistreated someone. God, God never disciplines us out of anger. I know as a parent, sometimes I've done that. I know many of y'all probably done that. They, you know, all the psychologists tell us we're not supposed to do that, but we're parents, and sometimes we get caught up in the moment. We discipline. God never God is patient. He never disciplines his kids out of anger. Never. He has anger, but it's not intended for his children. It's not intended for his sheep. It's intended for their enemies. We'll we'll get into that in just a second. For we will share in his holiness. See, if I don't go before the Lord and say, God, would you just examine me? Would Would you comb me through? If I don't go before the Lord with that attitude, then I can't be more holy. I say, God, where can I be more holy? So many of us, we're just like, I just, I, I'm good enough, I just want to get by. That is not the heart of, of a child of God. A child of God says, man, God, I want to be close to you. What can I do? What can I do? What, examine me. Come through. Correct me, Lord. I welcome your correction. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but Painful. So later on, however, it reproduces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So correction is, there is a place for that. But listen, correction is never motivated by his anger. We call that wrath. God has wrath. He absolutely has wrath. But it is never intended for his children. It's always motivated by his daddy heart. Discipline in the kingdom doesn't look like punishment. Discipline in the kingdom always looks like correction. Don't go over here. Come over here. Are you with me? So that's, that's one of the ways. Listen, if you feel condemnation, it's not God. If you feel a nudging, man, I need it. And sometimes condemnation and conviction feel the same, don't they? So it's, it's very important. The way you know condemnation is when it attacks your identity. If you were really a child of God, you would stop doing that. That's the devil talking. God speaks like this, because you're my child, I have more for you. You need to stop doing that. It's very different. It's correction. Okay? So I, didn't, I figured we'd hit on it since it, since it is at hand. So God, understand this, that God disciplines us for correction, not punishment. Let me tell you this. I'm going to finish this point with this. Jesus already already was already punished for your sins. We all like sheep have gone, well, if you're a sheep and you go astray, you come back, you're going to get beat. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone and done our own thing, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is already punished for your sins. You don't have to get punished for your sins. It's not to say that there's not a reaping and sowing that will happen and some natural consequences of the sins that you've committed, but listen, Jesus already took the punishment for your sin. Receive your forgiveness. 
Are you with me? How many of y'all have free YOLO? <laughs> Thank God, because I really blew it, right? Jesus was already punished for you. God's not punishing you. I just feel like God's punishing me for having this, that, and the other. God, Jesus is already punished for you. It is finished. What part of that do you not understand? Game over with punishment. There is correction, but no more punishment for God's kids. Are you with me? Okay. So correction is part of it, but that is not the primary purpose of the rod. The primary purpose is the third point right here for protection. The primary purpose of the rod and the hand of the shepherd is for protection. It was a weapon demonstrating authority. It could be thrown accurately or it could, be, it, it could strike forcefully. And I, I'm going to check into here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where we talk about David. Now, David was a shepherd. He was shepherding. God comes in and anoints him. You guys remember? He said, I'm done with Samuel He's, or Saul. I'm done with Saul. He's no longer going to be in, in charge. I'm, I found someone who loves me, who wants me. I'm going to make him king. So he went out and he found this little shepherd boy, the last one picked. He wasn't even invited to the party for the anointing. They say, he said, none of these are your sons. None of these are picked. Do you have anybody else? Oh, yeah, we do have our son. He's out keeping sheep. His name's David. Somebody go get him. And here comes David, you know, all ginger and, you know, riding on a, a unicorn, right, like gingers do. Just kidding. Uh, so so here comes David, and, and, you know, he's dirty, and he's probably got like a guitar. He looks like a hippie, right? And he shows up, and he's got his staff, and he's got his rod, and he's got his backpack with all of his stuff in it for shepherding. He's been out there for weeks, and they're like, he's like here I am. They said, hey, we're going to anoint you. And he, he says, this is the one that God has picked, and he anoints him with oil, and he goes. Now, we know uh, that, now, Saul didn't know this. This was all kind of behind the scenes. So, what happens is the children of Israel up against battle. We know the story of Goliath. I think there's a movie coming out, like, soon or something about David and Goliath. And so, what happens is Goliath comes, and he stands, and he starts threatening the armies of Israel. Well, David is already anointed king, but he's just you know, he's, he's shepherding. That's where he lives. That's what he does. He loves, he actually loves shepherding. I believe he loves shepherding. And I believe that, that, that the reason why he was able to be a good king is because he was a good shepherd. We'll get into that in just a minute. But here's, here's David. And this is what he says. He goes to Samuel. He's just a kid. He shows up. He's like, hey, Samuel. He's like, what's up? Why isn't anybody fighting the, the warrior, Goliath? Why, why is everybody afraid of him? And he said, well, you know, he's this warrior. He has this reputation. He could take people out. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. It says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. That's, a good, that's, that's good right there. We can bite into that. Let no, let no one be discouraged. Let no one feel hopeless because of this giant that's showing up. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for your youth. You're just a kid. Have you ever been told that? And he, a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has kept his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Are you getting this? He's just a shepherd boy. He's just a young man. But whenever a, a lion came and he took away a lamb, he said that he went after him. And he grabbed him by the beard and he beat him with what? A rod. 
He didn't have a gun. He didn't have a tank. He's just a kid, and he's taking out lions and bears? This makes no sense to me. Seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He'll deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Listen, I'm telling you that whatever you're dealing with, there is a man born a thousand years later from the same town that David was born in a little town called Bethlehem, the actually the city of bread, the city of David. And a far greater, stronger, more capable shepherd was born than David. A shepherd who is not only able to destroy the lion and the bear, but anything in this world that were that in any power of hell that would come against you. And he used a wooden instrument just like a rod to strike a debilitating final blow to the enemy of your soul. No power in hell can take you because we serve a shepherd who has a wooden instrument that he used 2,000 years ago to defeat hell in the grave and to provide a way for you and to protect you and to lead you. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the good shepherd we have. David was powerful. David was awesome. But Jesus is infinitely more strong and more powerful. And if David could go and rescue a lamb from the mouth of a lion, how much more can Jesus destroy the enemy of your soul who is coming against you? And he did. He already did it. So whenever the devil comes to you and starts trying to discourage you when you're in the valley, you just say, devil, you are defeated. You have no authority over me. Jesus beat the devil with a stick. With his rod. Come on. So we are comforted by this fact that we don't just have a God that, that, that is in charge of our lives and taking good care of us and leading us well, but we also have a God that shares enemies with us. God shares enemies with us. How comforting is that? Oh, God. It's like discouragement. It's my enemy. It's God's enemy. Oh. Confusion. It's my enemy. It's God's enemy. Smirk. It's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. A debilitating blow to the enemy. All right, let's talk about the staff. I, I ordered me a staff this week. It's pretty cool. I think I'm going to start preaching with this all the time. Because I... Right. Okay, so this is this is a staff. Now, now a staff represents the leadership of God. So we have the authority represented by the rod, exercised by the rod, right? And then we have the leadership that the staff represents. Now, let me say this: leadership and authority don't always come together. Are you with me? Just because you lead doesn't mean you have authority, and just because you have authority doesn't mean you know how to lead. Right? They have to work together. And we've all met leaders that had authority with no leadership. Right? You're like, who wants to follow this guy? Right? Well, he's in charge. Okay. I mean, he's got the position, but he don't really have any leadership. He's just got the authority. Well, Jesus has both. He's the good shepherd. He has the authority and the leadership. Now, listen, shepherding is God's model, biblical model for leading. You look at all, up to Jesus, all the great leaders in Scripture were all shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Can I tell you that David never stopped being a shepherd? The reason why God picked him to be king is because David could shepherd well. He knew how to lead. And even though they were sheep, God knew that people were a lot like sheep. And we've talked about that a lot during this series. 
Jesus, the great shepherd. So David was always a shepherd. Jesus, always a shepherd, always has staff in hand, always leading us. I love this, First Samuel. I saw this the other day when I was studying, and I was blown away by it. Check this out. First Samuel 17, 40. It says, he picked up five stones, and here he's going to attack Goliath from the stream and put them in the shepherd's bag. Then he was then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So we, we talk about the sling, and we talk about, but we forget that part. We leave that part out. When David went out to fight Goliath, he didn't just have, you know, like a picture show. He didn't just have the slingshot. He actually had the staff in one hand. Now, he still had the rod. It was the mantle that was on him. He had the authority. God had ordained him. So he already had that authority. But whenever he showed up, he had a new rod in his hand, right? A new instrument of authority, the sling, but he still had his staff. David showed up, and he still, he never laid that staff down. He kept it with him. He's like, this is my identity. I am a shepherd. Now, the, sh- the staff has many, many, many purposes. Um, one purpose of the staff is it makes a great back scratcher. Right? Or like if the remote's too far away, you just kind of, right, kind of pull the remote in or whatever it is that you want, right? So the staff, just kidding, those aren't really true uses of the staff, but it could be used for that, and I found it quite useful correcting my children, guiding them around the house yesterday. A staff was carefully selected uh, by the shepherd. It was, it was a craft. Someone would build it. He would actually not build the staff himself. He would actually buy it from someone. It was, it was shaped and smoothed and cut best to suit his own personal use. So whenever he got a, a, a staff, he didn't go to, to Walmart and buy a staff. He didn't go to, uh, you know, Valley Feed or whatever to buy a staff. There, there, was, there was staff manufacturers, but they didn't have them like on a rack somewhere. You went and they custom built that staff so it would be just a little taller than you, and it would be something that would fit your hand just right because it was going to be the most important thing that you used as a shepherd, the leadership. So what does it do? What does it provide? A staff in the shepherd's hand produces, it provides these things. Things Number one, it produces visibility. When, it, when a sheep would see that man with that staff standing up on the side of that hill, or he saw him at a distance away, maybe kind of starting to get a little bit smaller. He could look, and he could see who had the staff in their hand. He could look, and he could see who, who, who it was. In fact, the, the, the sheep learned, kind of has a relationship with the staff, per se. Um, sheep would associate the, the shepherd with the staff. It would stand tall. It would stand above, and it would make the shepherd recognizable. And how many know that Jesus is visible? that he makes himself recognizable, that he's not hiding from us. Are you with me? But he's like, when, when he does something, it's very clear that it's him that's doing it. And I love that about Jesus, that Jesus makes himself visible. So it, it provides that. It provides visibility. Another thing that the staff provides is it, it's a drawing tool. Now, when we're talking about drawing, we're not talking about you pull it up like this and draw with it. We're talking about it's got a hook on the end that you can reach out and kind of bring somebody a little closer to you if you wanted to. Not a big old neck like that. Maybe a leg or something. And you could use that to kind of kind of draw you a little closer. And uh, maybe some of y'all that always sit in the back, I can bring you up here and get you a little closer. 
But he would use, he would use the staff to, to reach out and, and draw sheep to himself. And we've talked a little bit about this, that a, that a shepherd just didn't keep these sheep because it was his job. He actually developed a relationship with the sheep. He would love on the sheep. So whenever he would see a sheep that needed a little affection, he would reach out and, and use that staff and pull him in real close to himself so he could love on that sheep whenever that sheep needed it. And, and the, the staff was crafted in such a way that it, that it was curved perfectly for the particular kind of sheep that he worked with. And it, they made sure that it was really smooth, that it didn't have any rough edges on it. So when he reached out and he grabbed that sheep, that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't cause any damage, but it would actually the sheep would be okay with it once he got hooked in. And how many know that Jesus desires to catch us? When moments like we had today in worship, he's just reaching out a staff and he's wrapping around our neck or our leg or wherever he can get a hold of. And he's saying, won't you come a little closer? Many times the staff uh, would, would be used to, to, to pick up a little lamb. Maybe, maybe a, a you would have a, a bunch of babies, a pack. I don't know what you call a, uh, you know, a bunch of babies, kitten babies that sheep have. And he would, if they began to, they were having problems nursing, he would just pick them up, just scoop them right up and put them right there. Just scoop them up. Get over here by your mama's thing and eat. <laughs> I said thing. Okay. Just come on. Just get over here. You need to be over here. You just need to get over here. So that, so he would, he would use it as a drawing tool, but number three, he would use it to guide the sheep, picking them up, putting them where they needed to be. And it's just like Jesus in his leadership. He knows just how. If we'll just respond to him, if we'll just stay within reach of Jesus, he'll just reach out and he'll just put us right where we need to be. Whenever a shepherd would lead sheep around, uh, like through a dark valley that we were talking about, he would use the, the staff to, to pr- provide a boundary so the sheep wouldn't, wouldn't go past this area right here. And the sheep were trained in such a way they would say, well, we got to stay on this side of the boundary. We've got to stay on this side of the staff because the shepherd is guiding me. It puts us right where we need to be. Isn't it good that Jesus can do that? We talked about that in worship today that, that you know, many times we wish our situations, our circumstances would be different. Come on, how many of y'all are with me? And a man, and we have every excuse in the world. I do it. You do it. We all do it. We all make excuses. If this were going this way, then I would be in a better place. If I just had more time, if I just had more money, if I just had more friends, if I just had this. Listen, Jesus doesn't need the situation to be perfect. He perfects the situation. He knows how to draw you in. He knows how to guide you. He knows how to bring you to himself. Will you just respond to the good shepherd's leading? Gently nudging. Gently nudging them. Don't go over here. Come on, come over here. Stay right over here. Get your, get your leg out of the aisle there. Right? Put that phone down. Right? Just kidding. Get over here. Put your leg like that. Put your leg like that. Just kidding. All right. Right? I want you to go take a shower. Just kidding. <laughs> no, you smell good. That's what he does. Just gently nudge. Isn't that just like the Holy Spirit? When Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, he just gently nudge us. I love, and we did a series uh, called Indwelling last fall, and uh, it would be really good for some of you to go back and listen just to be reminded of the guiding of the Holy Spirit. It says this in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what God does. He just, just by his Spirit. That's why, listen, this is why you can't just study Scripture alone. You can't just study Scripture alone and have a spiritual mindset. You just have a mindset, not a spiritual mindset. His words are spirit, and they are life. So you need to know the word. You need to be dialed into the word. Absolutely. You need to build that grid for the word of God. But the word of God alone is not enough. 
You got to have the prayer life. You got to have the spirit. You got to have your worship going on. It doesn't matter how much you know. That's just fixing your head. Jesus needs to fix your heart. Come on, are you with me? So just allow the Holy Spirit. He guides you into all truth. All truth. Not just the word. Not just facts. Not just details. Not just Google searching. That's great. I love it that we live in the information age. I hate it sometimes too, but what does he do? By his spirit. So you, you can't. You can't substitute. You can't. You can't Google search prayer life. You can't get a prayer life because you sit on a computer for five minutes and have a bunch of facts about it. No, you got to get it in the ground. You got to spend time with the Holy Spirit. To get the Spirit, you got to invest time. You got to get away from that screen. Come on. You got to carve that time out of your day. Well, if I just had more time, don't give me that. If you just had your priorities right. It's not about time. It's not about money. It's not about circumstances. It's not about people. It's about your priority to spend time with the good shepherd so he can guide you, so he can nudge you when you get away. John 14, 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father sent in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said. I love it how sometimes that I'll, I'll be going through something or something will stress me out and the Holy Spirit will just nudge me. Remember, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? Isn't that cool how the Holy Spirit does that? It just reminds you of the things that Jesus says to us. All the things that Jesus has done in our life, the Holy Spirit will just come and just kind of nudge us just a little bit and say, hey, remember? That word in the Greek, um, I don't remember what the exact word is, but, but the word in the Greek for remember is actually the word that where we get the word residue. So it's like I drink coffee. Y'all know that? So in my cup over here, there's a little black circle inside there. In fact, if I spill it just like that, you can see a little bit come out. What is that? That's the residue. That's the residue up inside there. That's what the Holy Spirit does is when Jesus comes and does a work in our life, he reminds us, hey, Jesus is there. He's right there. I love it. Just comes in, guides you. Just comes a little, little, you're not going to sit there again, are you? (laughs) Just kind of knocking you in, right? Come on, get over here. Not forcefully, just gently guiding you. And the last thing that the shepherd would use his staff for that we're talking about this morning is he would use that crook to grab a sheep. I think we have some images. A sheep would run away and get lost and fall off a cliff somewhere like this sheep here. Right? And what he would use is we got this next image. He just used that, that staff to reach out and grab that little sheep and pull him back up and get him out of trouble. How many are glad that Jesus can get you out of trouble? Woo! <laughs> How many of y'all ever been there before? Can we go back to that last one because it's a little bit more real for us? How many of y'all ever been there before? You're like, how the heck am I going to get out of there? How many of you know that we have a good shepherd that knows how to find us just like this guy right here? And he's just going to reach out just like this guy right here. Just reach out and say, it's okay. I got you. I see you. I see you. Here, let me, let me reach out my staff and, and pull you in. Let me get you out of trouble. The staff is used to also assist if, it, if a sheep gets in a in, in brush or thorn bush or something like that. He would use his staff to get in there and kind of move back some of those things, gently moving them away, taking care of the sheep as he gets it out of danger. Anytime you're beyond reach, we have the good shepherd to just reach out and say, Let's get you over here. Let's get you over here. Leading, 
guiding, directing our lives. Now, I want to finish with the scripture today. I, I believe that we've had a lot of ministry this morning, but I, I want to share with this the scripture with you today. In the context of what we're talking about this morning, Isaiah 43, 1. Do not be afraid. Can I get somebody to come play? Just a moment. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are my sheep. When you go through the deep waters, we've talked about that before, that sheep can't swim very well. So when they fall in the water, there he is with the leadership of the Holy Spirit just to draw us back to where we need to be. I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And sometimes we feel like in our lives, man, we are so far away from God. That we feel like that we're so distant. But can I tell you that, that Jesus is not just a good leader. And he doesn't just have incredible authority. But he is also all-knowing. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at, and he knows how to reach you. He knows how to connect with you. It doesn't matter if you're just a little bit away from him, and he's drawing you, or if you're off on some cliff somewhere about to die, starving, downcast, as we talked about two weeks ago. It doesn't matter your situation. He is never too far away. One scripture says it this way, his arm is not too short to save. The good shepherd just reaches, just reaches out and just, hooks us in and draws us from home. Would you stay in this room?